From Alaska Team Media Institute, I'm Madison Knudsen. This is Podcast in Place, a series about life in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. For many Alaskans, the COVID-19 pandemic seems like a thing of the past. Life feels mostly normal again, but while recorded case counts are at their lowest in over a year, COVID is still here. So to give us an update on where Alaska stands in the fight against COVID-19, we called up Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer and no stranger to our podcast. At me, senior producer Quinn White spoke with Dr. Zink about how Alaska is doing the pandemic, the new bivalent booster shots, and even some non-COVID topics too. It is flu season after all. They spoke on October 4th, 2022. Right off the bat, it seems like case counts for COVID in Alaska right now are lower than they've been in over a year. So it looks like we're doing pretty good, right? Yeah, we've always known that we've not identified every case of COVID. Some people didn't get tested. There was hard access to testing. And now we have a lot of people doing home testing and those are not reported in. So we've always known that that is a metric, but not a perfect metric. But in general, we look at multiple different ways of um, seeing how much COVID we have and all are doing okay. So not a ton of case counts. Our hospitalizations uh, aren't super high. We continue to have people come to the emergency department. I think the hard thing for me is we continue to see deaths associated with COVID and they particularly tend to be in the elderly. So we see waning immunity, both from vaccination as well as previous infection and why it's so important, particularly for our elders that they get boosted with the most recent booster, as well as if they get sick, get tested early and get treated. Um, so we have ways to really help to reduce the risk of hospitalization and death, particularly for our elders. And that's the community I still see uh, being most impacted by COVID right now. Sure. I know I worry about the elderly people that I love the most. You know, recently the president said that the pandemic was over and it seems like it wasn't super well received by the public health community. And it seems like we're closer to the end than we've been. But are we? Is it done? Is it over? Well, that's a great question. I think that um I think people mean different things when they say it's over. And I can't say what the president did or didn't mean. But when you heard the whole interview, I think what he was really saying is it does not need a strong federal response anymore. And so therefore it's over. So from his perspective, you know, as the president, that's what he's saying. You know, for a lot of Alaskans, it's been over for a long time. They've been going about their life, doing their normal stuff on a regular basis. For me as a healthcare worker, it's never going to be over. It's always going to need to be on my differential. I want to make sure all my patients have the opportunity to be as healthy and well as possible. And I think this virus is going to continue to circulate for years uh, and probably longer than any of us will be around. And I'll continue to need to think about it. I will continue to learn about it and I will continue to treat people for it and uh, try to work to help minimize the impact of this disease. The term pandemic really means that it's uh, impacting the entire world in irregular fits and starts that can cause really significant devastation. And it's a term that really the WHO called it and is the one who has to uncall it uh, to say that this part of the pandemic is over. And so we'll see and we'll follow there. But I think for most people, they are doing many things that, you know, they're not thinking about COVID at the top of their mind, which is totally appropriate at this point in the pandemic. However, 
it's still here. It's going to be here. And we still need to use tools such as making sure you're up to date with your vaccine. We don't say, I'm so glad I got flu last year. I'm over with that. You know that you might get flu again. Same thing with COVID. Like I've had patients who have had COVID four times. You might get COVID again. You need to stay up to date. Unfortunately, we have a vaccine now that really reflects the current variant that's circulating, which is honestly the first time we've had that during this pandemic. We've been playing catch up with all these variants. And so this is the first time we're kind of caught up. So that's uh, super exciting to just have that tool. So there's this new booster shot out there, the bivalent shot. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this one, like you're saying, targets the specific strain of the Omicron variant. You're becoming a virologist. Nice job. Hey, thank you. I've been practicing. Um double checking the notes. I'm cheating a little, but um, you're doing awesome. <laughs> how is the bivalent vaccine different from the boosters that we've already received? Yeah. So think about the virus a little bit like a messy copy machine. And so every time it replicates, it has to copy its RNA. It has to keep copying itself. And when it copies, it can make some mess ups. It can miss a letter. It can miss a protein. And each time it does that, uh, the virus changes a little bit. Well, as it spreads and as it replicates a lot, the viruses that tend to live and continue to go are the ones that can easily move from person to person and to a degree, ones that can um, get around your immune system. You know, if your immune system takes it down quickly, that one's not going to continue to live on and to move to the next person. So the beginning of the pandemic, we saw we were really worried about the fact that this virus had an R naught or that replicatability to like two and a half. So one person could give it to two and a, two and a half other people. Mm -hmm. We're now looking at R naught of like 11 to 15. So with Omicron, like one person can spread it to like 15 other people pretty easily. And it evades our immune system. And the main way it does that is it's been changing its spike protein. And the spike protein is this big, long protein that connects to your cell and allows the virus to enter your cell. And viruses can't actually replicate themselves. They have to use your cells and the, the hardware of your cells kind of to replicate themselves. And so to be able to live, they have to get in your cell and use you to be able to replicate. And if your body knows like, hey, don't let that guy in the front door, then it won't let you in and you can't get in. So think of it as like, as it keeps replicating, it keeps changing, it keeps changing the key a little bit and we keep changing our response. And so now we have a better um, bolt to the to the key that they're trying to get in. So we we kind of, we have a way to lock the, the door against them entering our cells better with this current vaccine, given the nature of the spike protein and how it's changed. So the BA4-5 is a variant that's currently spreading. And by being able to um, have your body make good antibodies to that type of protein, when your body sees that virus, then it will attack that one and uh, minimize the chance that that virus enters your cells and gets a chance to replicate. So that's how that's how vaccines work. That's how this one works. Um, but as that key changes, we got to keep changing the way that we, um, those antibodies to prevent it from entering our cell. And really right now we have a vaccine that teaches our body how to make antibodies that reflect the current structure of the virus that's circulating at this time. Gotcha. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is it kind of like how the, like how the flu shot changes a little bit every year? You're exactly right. So flu, the virus that causes influenza is actually a little bit less stable. It actually changes a little bit more than the coronavirus family. And the problem with COVID is we've just had so much circulating. There's just been a lot of chances for it to change, but you're exactly right. Every year we see multiple different strains of uh, influenza circulating. And we try to do our best guess to say what looks like is circulating in Australia, down in the Southern hemisphere. And then we design our vaccines based on that. And then that's what we vaccinate for this year. 
One difference is COVID, it's been a little bit less like multiple different strains. It's kind of like we've had these waves of one strain after another, like one, one variant tends to outcompete the other. And what's going to happen long-term is a little bit unclear. It's unclear if we'll have multiple strains of this coronavirus circulating like we do with flu, or if we'll just get kind of one dominant. The current thinking is it's probably going to be a little bit less like flu, like we have multiple strains circulating and you have like one that will continue to change and then outcompete itself um, and move forward. I mean, there's four other human coronaviruses that cause the common cold that impact us as well all the time. Those may have entered humanity in a similar sort of way with this kind of big introduction, cause lots of illness, lots of death. Um, and then as we built some degree of immunity and that virus starts to uh, replicate and change in a way that uh, moves quickly, but doesn't cause you to be a sick because it's not advantageous for it actually to kill us because then it can't replicate as much because um, it needs you to be alive to replicate, uh, that it kind of you know tapered down and, and became a, more of a common cold. So this may be just another entry point for it, but we'll see. The difference with this and other coronaviruses is we have a vaccine for it and we have treatment. And that's not the case with other coronaviruses. And honestly, compared to flu vaccine and flu treatment, the, the COVID vaccine looks like it does more to protect you than the flu vaccine and it and our treatments are a little better. So um, despite its burden, we have honestly better technology um, and better science for COVID now than we do with flu. And we're starting to see flu learning from the lessons of COVID. So they're actually testing right now an mRNA platform flu vaccine that could do multiple strains at the same time. So can we use the science that we've learned uh, over COVID and apply it to influenza or RSV, which causes little kids to be sick um, and other things. So it's I kind of feel like um, watching this vaccine technology, I think we talked about this before, it's a little bit like watching a man land on the moon. It's been like pretty amazing to watch. And then, you know, there's lots of cool science that comes from that, like cool ballpoint pens and dried ice cream that we got from the space, but there are things that have to do directly with space and things that don't. And I think we're going to see a lot of that with the science that we've learned over the last couple of years with COVID. Yeah. It's kind of exciting now that you're explaining it in an exciting way. Yeah. <laughs> it is super exciting. It's awesome. And um, I think we'll have more tools. The challenge will be, we can have a tool, but it's not useful if people don't choose to get vaccinated. And so how can we explain that information? How can we explain the cool science that your body's just being taught how to take down that virus as quickly as possible um, so that people like you and your friends and, um, you know, loved ones are make that choice to use that science and technology. I mean, think about the computer we're talking on right now is because of science and technology. You know, the planes that we get on, the food that we eat, all these things are because we've learned about how the natural world works. And COVID vaccines is just one of additional things. We've just learned about this virus. We've learned tools. And um, these tools can make our lives healthier and better and safer and cheaper and all the things if we choose to partake in them in, in a way that's uh, healthy and productive. So we need to we need to put COVID back vaccines back in the box of like, this is just really cool science. Gotcha. Um, I got my flu shot earlier this week. I just made an appointment to get my bivalent shot next week. So I want to know how many people in Alaska are getting this new bivalent shot? Yeah, it's a little hard to know because the data is coming in a little bit slower. We've kind of let the, the healthcare providers be like, okay, you know, you can take a little bit less time. At less than a quarter of Alaskans have chosen to get uh, their their booster um, at this point. And it definitely changes per age. So the older you are, the higher that we see. Um, and then younger, we see less. So not as many people um, as honestly need to, to be protected from this fall and winter. You know, we in Alaska, as you know, we winterize and we immunize. Um, so we got to get ready for the winter. And the way that you're getting your body for the winter ready is by uh, getting vaccinated. 
So I'm hoping more people will take out. We see a lot of fairs and other things coming up um, in the future where there are both. So like the hospital I work at, they have not yet offered the bivalent vaccine, but they're doing a big clinic this month and then coming around on night shifts and other times to offer flu and, and the bivalent vaccine. So I think I think we're going to have a pretty regular uptake through this next month-ish, um, but really the time is now. People need to get snow is coming, termination dust has happened. You need to get your flu and booster update at this point if you haven't. So I want to kind of talk about the public perception of this new booster. How are people feeling about this? Do you think there's time for these numbers to catch up for where they're supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, again, that's if you're looking at a population wide or you're looking at the individual wide. It's always heartbreaking to me when I take care of a patient who I'm admitting to the hospital who um, was going to go get vaccinated next week, right? Like you're like, ah, like that your timing was not right. Yeah, our cases are lower right now. And so it's not that we're seeing a big uptake in cases. And when we start to see that uptake in cases, I will be more vocal, like, no, seriously, like today, you've got to go do it. Um, That being said, for myself, I got my last booster almost a year ago. And so I know my immunity had waned quite a bit. I've been going to a bunch of national conferences and local conferences. I've been flying a lot. I was anxious to get my uh, bivalent booster up because I knew my immunity was waning at that time. So I got mine really early, but that was part of as soon as it was available, honestly, because part of me was like my risk calculation and also my, my waning immunity. And honestly, I don't want to get it if I can help it. I know I might, but that's the case. Have a good friend. She's, you know, never had it. She works as a nurse. She's incredibly strong. She's a triathlete, super fit. And, you know, and she ended up getting it two weeks before the bivalent vaccine came out. Um, she was bummed that she got it at that time. But, you know, she was in the emergency department last night because she's still short of breath and having a hard time breathing. And she's super healthy. She kicks my butt every day when we go out and do something. Um, and it's a bummer to see her still having chest pain and shortness of breath outside of it. And she was like, man, I wish, I, you know, it had been two more weeks. So you don't want to be that person who's like, man. Now I'm, now I'm still really struggling with this and I could have made a priority in time to go ahead and get boosted. The one caveat is, you know, if you've had COVID within three to six months, um, waiting kind of that three to six month time, I think is more than reasonable just because you've got that getting COVID is like, uh, an unsafe way to get an additional booster. It causes longer side effects, but it does boost your immune system, um, in that same sort of way. So if you've had COVID in the last three to six months, probably wait three to six months to get your booster and then go ahead and get your booster at that time. I'm so sorry to hear that she got so sick, but I think that's an example of how even extremely healthy people can get really, really ill. For sure. And she's not going to count as a hospitalization data. She better not count as a death data, but she, um, you know, she went to the ER, she got a expensive CT scan that has a lot of radiation to it because they were trying to rule out a blood clot or something else because she was short of breath and some of her lab work was abnormal. Um, and it all turned out okay but she's short of breath and she doesn't feel well and she's not able to do the things she wants to. And she's, you know, three and a half, four weeks out of her COVID infection at this point. And it's, it's putting a, it's putting a damper on her life. That's um, it's just like you mentioned, it's a good example of how even super young, healthy people can be impacted. And that isn't reflected in the data, but it's definitely reflected in her experience in her life. Now that long COVID is becoming a part of this pandemic for a lot of people, like you're saying, and people are getting COVID multiple times. And what do we know, not just about the long-term effects about COVID, but just contracting this disease multiple times? I know from what you're saying, like 
I mean, when you don't feel good, you can't live the kind of life you want to live, right? I think we have a lot to learn about long COVID. It's probably um, many different things all kind of piled into one big box called long COVID. And it probably has to do with our immune system responding in different ways. Um, we know that autoimmune diseases impact women more than men. We're starting to see long COVID start to impact women more than men. While we see men tend to get uh, sicker and are more likely to be hospitalized and die from COVID. So we all have slightly different immune systems. There's different reasons our immune systems react in different ways. Uh, but long COVID is real and it impacts one out of four people who get COVID six months later are still having symptoms. So it's it's not just a small subset of people. There are some very you know dramatic cases and people are in wheelchairs and continued auction. But a lot are like my friend who I just described to you. You know, she's just does not feel like herself. The brain fog component acts a lot like concussions where people just don't remember things as well. They have a hard time processing information. They feel more tired. Things just seem harder to kind of figure out in this space. And that's also another um, risk. We don't have great treatments. Um, a lot of the treatments look similar to how we treat other autoimmune diseases um, and in trying to treat the symptoms as a whole. It is exciting to see some centers of long COVID kind of getting set up and to treat it. A um, couple little things, if you you don't get long COVID, if you don't get COVID, so reducing your risk of COVID is like the best thing you can do. There's more data to suggest that if you're vaccinated, your risk of long COVID is less even when you get COVID. So um, it, even if you get COVID, if you're vaccinated, your chance of getting long COVID is less. So that's reassuring to see in that space. But I haven't seen any data on if you have COVID multiple times, your risk of long COVID versus not. And I think that's another great question. And it probably has to do with someone's immune system. There's some early data on things like MS can be exacerbated the more times you get COVID, but that's true with every viral infection, like MS symptoms could be worse. Interestingly, they also are seeing slight exacerbations in MS every time someone gets vaccinated, but it's probably because the immune system gets revved up for the vaccine or it gets revved up for the virus. Um, and that can exacerbate underlying autoimmune diseases. It just gets exacerbated less with vaccination than it does with uh, the disease itself. So um, I think particularly people who have higher risk for underlying autoimmune conditions are likely at, at higher risk for long COVID, but we're, we're still looking at more of that data and trying to understand more of that space. We'll be right back. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can conduct interviews like the one you're listening to right now, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. And get this, while we are based in Anchorage, you don't have to be there to work with us. A lot of the work we do is done remotely. I'm recording this from Phoenix, Arizona. So if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska and interested in joining at me, Go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join. You can also email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. Now back to Quinn's interview with Dr. Ann Zink. So as a public figure, we have been kind of able to follow your journey through the pandemic, you know, like through your job and seeing, you know, what precautions and steps you're taking to protect yourself and your family. So have you got COVID yourself? Knock on wood, not yet. So, you know, I um I have not. Um my husband has, my kids haven't. Um, so we had a little bit, a little bit of here, a little bit of there. Some family members have, some family members haven't. Um, but my life has pretty much returned back to its normal 
goings on and my doings and the things I do. So, um, you know, I just flew back last night from San Francisco. I travel, I go to conferences, um, couple things that I still do. So one, I make sure I'm up to date on my vaccination prior to getting my booster. I was particularly cautious on indoor spaces. So I was not eating indoors with other people. If I was inside at another event, I was making sure that I was masked uh, on a regular basis in the emergency department. I still mask when I'm seeing patients. I just, I had a patient the other day who had TB and I was like, Oh, I'm really glad I had that mask on. (laughs) It was just like, you know, from other disease perspective as well. Plus it's just a bummer to get sick. Um, what COVID cases coming down at this point, I am back to eating at indoor restaurants, um, because I feel like my immune system's back up with being boosted. Um, I'm otherwise fairly healthy and our cases are, are lower. If cases get really high again, I'll probably switch to more, um, indoor eating. I have also been, um, going to restaurants that have outdoor eating because I think from a respiratory standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. And I want to support businesses that are supporting clean air for me to enjoy. And there's some really cool restaurants that have done some really fun stuff outside. So I, you know, Norway eats outside all year. Like we can do hard things too. Like cool heat lamps and blankets and stuff makes things fun. So, um, I also just want to kind of support that effort. I think I'll always probably mask, uh, flying. Um, you just, you're sitting close to a lot of other people. I see a lot of other people not flying with masks, but it just gives me a chance to help protect myself from other illnesses, but I'm not, you know, I was just at a huge conference with lots of other people. I am, I'm making that decision. If I'm visiting someone who's immunocompromised or someone who's elderly, I pull back on my uh, exposure. So I pull back on my um, eating inside or making sure that I'm masking when I'm going in, indoors and things like that uh, for a, a bit of time. And then I'm continuing to use testing. So this conference I was just at required everyone to be tested 24 hours before the conference. Um, and so you had to be vaccinated and you had to test. And so it was just an additional level of protection that they chose. So just like I, you know, the winter's, cold and I put on my jacket, I put on my hat, like, you know, that's not government telling me to wear. It's like a smart decision for myself to keep myself warm when it's winter. I think of COVID and honestly, respiratory illnesses is the same way. There are different times. I I look at the weather of COVID and respiratory illnesses and I make individual decisions for myself, given my own risk factors and my family's risk factors to keep myself healthy and my family healthy at the same time. Yeah, totally. I think that's a great analogy. And also during the winter time, keep your face warm keeps your face warm. They're really great for like snow biking. Like you're like, oh, I don't have to breathe that cold air in the same sort of way. So, uh, yeah, they're, uh, it's just, a, it's a tool that we have and it's one of a series. So, uh, and I, I love the outside. I mean, it's part of the reason I live in the state. So I, I try to I try to choose that space whenever I can. So I want to switch gears from COVID to the flu. Um, are Alaskans getting their flu shots this year and how do rates this year compare to rates prior to the pandemic? We're pretty similar this year's rates compared to previous years. We saw a bigger increase in people getting their flu vaccine in 2020. So when people were really concerned about both flu and COVID, we saw an uptake and we've we've lost some of that. So we haven't seen that same gain continue. I am really worried about this flu season this year. I could be wrong, but Australia is getting hit hard with a bad flu season. And honestly, we have not had a flu season in a while. And so what that's going to look like will be interesting and somewhat challenging. It will be interesting to see which variants circulate. There's been some interesting data that because there hasn't been a lot of flu circulating, we talked about with that variance and and transmission because it it hasn't been able to replicate. We've actually seen a series of influenza lineages being eliminated, like a whole bunch of the variants no longer existing it's kind of narrowing down to a sub, a smaller set of influenza that's circulating. We saw the same thing after the 1918 pandemic. 
like that, that virus really hit hard for about three years. And then it flew essentially went away for a whole like 20, 30 years. And then it started to pick up. And then we have just tolerated this flu circulating. And so it, we've allowed it to just continue to move. But then with COVID, when we had less circulating, that came down. It's a, it's a much more narrow um, series of variants that we see. So hopefully we can better time our vaccine to a very limited set of variants that we're seeing at this time and have better protection with the flu vaccine. It's just a good reminder though, of like how much, how much we rely on science to like fix these problems for us. And they're cool and science is great, but staying home when we're sick, having good air circulation, all these things that we've learned about respiratory pathogens, if we can apply those in our everyday world, I think that we can impact RSV, that we can impact the common cold, we can impact influenza and COVID um, and hopefully not have such a bad flu season, but we'll see. It'll depend on what we all choose to do. How many people choose to get vaccinated, staying home or sick, wearing a mask, all those things that we saw because they made a big difference for flu too. The other day I was talking to a friend of mine about like the flu shot and she said something along the lines of like, why would I get it? I don't want to get a shot. Nobody wa- nobody likes needles. So why is it so important for healthy folks to get the flu shot? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, no one likes needles and that's a totally fair uh, comment. Uh, sure. in that space. And so, yeah, I get that for sure. You know, um, if you are a completely healthy person who interacts with no one else, you know, your risk of flu is pretty low. I have taken care of a 26 year old uh, who died of flu. So it's not impossible, but I had a very healthy uh, woman die of flu. The people who are most impacted by flu are the very young and the very old. And so if you interact with children or if you interact with elders, uh, that's part of the reason to get a flu shot is you're helping to protect them. There's nothing worse than watching a little kid struggle to breathe. And uh, flu particularly really impacts little kids. And it's one of the larger reasons for children under the age of two dying is respiratory diseases, including influenza. And so if they've got siblings, if they visit other people like that, they can help protect them uh, from it. And a little bit of a little bit of hurt in your arm for a few minutes may go a long way to help protect those who have a harder time protecting themselves. And or if they got it, they would be much sicker. So that's the hard thing with public health. It's not it's not just about you. It's also about the people that you're around. And that's where again I think a little bit about like cars, like you having your seatbelt on keeps you safe, but honestly, you staying in your lane also helps keep the other people safe. And so, you know, if you're going to drive on a road all by yourself and no one else is around, it doesn't really matter what road you're in. But mm-hmm. if you're going to drive with other people, um, it's helpful to follow the laws to try to minimize uh, your chance of running into other people. So if you're going to interact with other people, try not to spread them flu by getting yourself vaccinated and staying home when you're sick. And that's going to particularly protect your grandparents or your siblings or your nieces or your nephews. And it's awful when it's awful when they're sick, particularly, I don't know, those little kids who can't breathe are just, that's like my worst thing to see in the emergency department. I hate when they're just, they're working so hard and struggling and anything we can do to prevent that, I think is for me is worth a, a little poke in my arm. It's not a, it's a, not, it's a small price to pay for me to help a little kiddo not have to breathe so hard. Totally. And in the moment, I didn't really know what to say. And I think I, cause that's kind of tricky. That's kind of tricky, but I think I just said, you know, I, I know I don't want to get the flu and you probably don't want to get it either. And like you're saying, it's really even not for yourself. It's for your community. Yeah. And I think that it's hard to sometimes think of community, like the whole state or the whole country, but think about who your, your community is, your community, who lives in your household with you, who you will visit who you like to play with and who you like to spend time with. And um, 
that can be a train of transmission. So you might play with a friend and then your friend has, you know, a, a one-year-old sibling in the house. And then you get flu and you spread it to your friend, your friend, neither of you are vaccinated and they spread it to that little one-year-old. And then your friend's siblings in the hospital or um, can get super sick and die. So um, yeah, so I'd say, I hope keep you well, but more than anything, it's not just about you. It's about all of us. I know when we were setting up our interview for today, you said that you were happy to talk about non-pandemic things. And I, I was also thinking I would also love to talk about non-pandemic things, but it seems like we're still at a place where we do have to talk about COVID. But what are some of the public health concerns that might have been overshadowed by COVID at this time that we should be talking about? Yeah, no, great question. Thanks for asking. You know, a lot of time that I'm spending the rest of my time on one is just about fentanyl, about illicit drugs that have fentanyl in them. You know, one pill can kill. It's devastating to be in the emergency department and get a call and someone's at a party and takes a, you know, a friend's pill thinking it's a Xanax or a Norco uh, and it's got fentanyl in it uh, and it's enough to kill them. Um, and so really emphasizing the risk of illicit uh, substances, as well as what can look like a totally legitimate pill can be illicit pill. So that's there. Every teenager should be carrying naloxone. It should be in your backpack when you go to school, um, because you never know when you'll come across someone who might be unresponsive in the bathroom and you have a chance to save their life. So you can throw it in the bottom of your backpack, not see it on a regular basis, but just like knowing CPR, it's a tool where you could save someone else's life. So lots of work in that space. We're seeing, unfortunately, particularly 12 to 18 year olds uh, presenting with more suicidal ideation. So we're just seeing really a struggle uh, along mental health. We saw that prior to the pandemic, particularly the young and the old are being more impacted. And your cat is absolutely beautiful. Oh, um, we're seeing um, them be more impacted. Um, and so really staying connected to each other, you know, the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, it's connection. And the same is true with mental health. That connection makes all the difference in the world. And we have all these Zoom ways of communicating and Snapchat and Twitter and TikTok and everything else, but having meaningful connections is, is really important. So being a part of a community organization, being a part of a sports team, and, you know, staying connected, checking on your friends on a regular basis. We just rolled out 988, uh, free, confidential. You can text 988, you can call 988. Alaskans answer the call um, to it and can help walk people through. Um, when they're having a rough time, I mean, nine out of 10 people who attempt suicide don't go on to commit suicide. Oftentimes it's impulsive in that moment and things like access to guns, access to a car, make it more likely to be lethal. And it's part of the reason why we are right now the second highest rates of suicide in the country behind Montana or excuse me, behind Wyoming. And we're oftentimes, it's really Montana, Wyoming, and Alaska are all kind of right in there in that space. So checking in on your friends, trying to, you know, things like uh, having a friend hold guns for someone else or locking them up so they don't have access to it in that pulsive moment, giving people just really emphasizing 988s there to talk through in that moment um, so that they've got someone else reaching out to each other. So a lot on the mental health space. And then just a whole series of work on prevention and the what ways you were really celebrating Healthy You in 2022, physical health, diet, nutrition, mental health connection are all key those are fundamental to our overall health. So what ways can we do that? But a lot of the acute work is really opioids uh, and mental health um, right now, particularly when I'm thinking about youth and thinking about the group that, you know, you oftentimes are speaking to. So those are the other topics that we're spending a lot of time with and want to do more along. Totally. I really appreciate that. 
Well, Dr. Sink, I think that's all I have for you today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, it's always great to see you. And uh, thanks for all that you do and getting messages out. And always happy to circle back or have other members of our team talk about any of those topics or whatever else you feel like is impacting um, the, you know, the health of youth across Alaska. So thanks for making the time, Quinn. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Zink. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. That was at me senior producer Quinn White speaking with Dr. Ann Zink, Alaska's chief medical officer. You've been listening to Podcast in Place from Alaska Team Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengost with additional music from Kendrick Whiteman. You can find these stories at alaskateammedia.org, where we've included resources for youth in partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska. We would like to acknowledge the Danina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to the supporters of our podcast, including the CDC Foundation Arts and Vaccine Confidence Project. The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of our guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of our funders. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like AtMe. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateammedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our series on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And don't forget to check out our website, alaskateammedia.org. There you can learn more about what our organization does, discover more youth-produced content, or find out how to get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Team Media Institute, I'm Madison Knudsen. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.